right. Welcome back, my friends, to the Mail Right Real Estate Agent Podcast Show. This is episode 103, and uh, we're coming out of the 4th of July weekend, so I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday weekend, as well as I want to thank all our men and women in service. Uh, thank you very much for your service to our country, allowing us to do what we do. All right. I have a special guest. Well, I, should, I, I just said I, and I cut out my co-host, Jonathan. Jonathan and I have a special guest. We died to so do that as guest. you joined the show. They're my guests. They're all mine. <laughs> it's all mine. <laughs> our, our guest today is William L. Exeter of Exeter 1031 Exchange Services. And in case you're wondering what the heck's a 1031 exchange, that's exactly why we have Bill on today. Um, Bill, would you say hello to our audience and and, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. Hello, good to see everybody today. Um, I've been in the 1031 exchange business now for 34 years. Um, so we've done a lot of exchanges over that time frame and seen a lot of interesting exchanges over that time frame. I would uh, so really all, all we do is tax deferred strategies. Okay. And uh, Jonathan, would you please introduce yourself before we get underway? Yes, folks, I'm the founder of MailRite, a marketing Facebook company that gets you quality leads and hopefully sales back to you thomas and i'm thomas j nelson i'm a residential realtor here in beautiful san diego california where i'm never too busy for your referrals and i help people not only buy and sell real estate but invest in real estate and that's where my buddy bill comes in because bill and i have worked together in the past through uh, mutual clients of ours uh performing 1031 exchanges um bill that brings me to the first question, the obvious question, what the heck is a 1031 exchange? <laughs> it's kind of a party kill, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're diving in deep to some exciting content here, but it's exciting for us, right? Because it's a tax deferred event and that's a big deal. Absolutely. So let's somebody who has rental property, investment property or property used in a business sell that uh, and reinvest in other re replacement property. Uh, and by doing the 1031 exchange, they defer the payment of all their capital gain taxes, depreciation recapture taxes, et cetera. So it's really designed to help them get out of one asset into another without paying any taxes and keeping the money in their pocket so they can build their wealth faster. All right, I'm going to geek out here and ask you, what is really a 1031 exchange in the sense of where, does, where do they come up with the name? Why is it called a 1031 exchange? A good question. So it's named after the tax code. So section 1031 of the Internal Revenue Code, uh, and it actually dates back to 1921. So we've got a long track record wow. of doing tax deferred exchanges. Okay. Now I want to take a step back before we dive into my questions about 1031s. Um, you mentioned 34 years in, in the 1031 exchange of business. So, I mean, wh what were you doing prior to owning this company of yours? What, what led you to start this company? Uh, we actually were working for a bank. So I was controller of a bank up in Los Angeles and the chairman decided to start a 1031 exchange company. Uh, their outside counsel said, don't have the escrow company run it. We think that's a conflict of interest and an agency problem. So he put it in my lap and I had no idea what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, a couple of months after that, UCLA had an extension program on 1031 exchanges. And that's uh, how I got into the 1031 exchange business. Uh, this is actually the fifth exchange company that I've run and managed. Oh, okay. So back in 2005, we just decided 
we wanted to be able to do things for clients that the larger exchange companies we were running wouldn't allow us to do because they were either publicly traded or regulated or what have you. So uh, that's why we decided to get into this business and start the Exeter Group. Okay. And now, what, what were some of those things that you're able to do that the larger companies can't do? When you get into more sophisticated transactions like reverse exchanges or improvement 1031 exchanges, uh, there's debt often, and we have to sign off on the, the promissory notes, the deeds of trust, as the uh, entity that holds legal title to the property. Mm. And a lot of times when the entity is publicly traded, they're not permitted to do that because it'll throw their financial ratios way out of uh, whack and off track. So they just refuse to do it, and we kind of caught a few clients off guard. So we decided to do what's right for the client. We needed to be non-publicly traded and non-affiliated with certain types of uh, companies. Gotcha. So, I mean, and this may sound like an obvious question, but I'm still going to ask it. Why do people elect to do a 1031 exchange in lieu of just selling the property and cashing out? Good question. That's really the core of what we do. Uh, you know, if you compare two investors side by side and one goes through 40 years of selling, paying the tax, reinvesting, uh, and then you compare that to the other investor who every time they sell, they do a 1031 exchange. At the end of 40 years, the investor who's done the 1031 exchange over and over and over and over will have a much, much higher net worth because they've deferred the money or deferred the taxes and kept the money in their pocket and working for them and building wealth for them instead of paying about a third of your profit to federal and state government. So it's essentially one investor's experiencing one taxable event at the end of his run versus somebody that's been taxed repeatedly through the years. Exactly. Yep. And, okay. and uh, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, what's the best way to take advantage of the 1031 exchange? And, and really, if you keep exchanging throughout your lifetime, never sell, never cash out, never pay the tax. When you pass on, you leave the property to your heirs and they get a step up in cost basis, which means the capital gain tax disappears, the depreciation recapture tax disappears. So oh, we have a morbid sense of humor. We call it swap to you drop. <laughs> nice. I love it. Now, does that include, can you leave the property to a charitable organization or something like that? Absolutely. Yep. So in a lot of cases at the very end, they may decide to set up a charitable remainder trust or something right. like that, or, or maybe they just leave the property through their will or through their living trust to, to some charity. Okay. Gotcha. And then um, timeframes. This, this seems to throw a lot of confusion. What are the timeframes? Because there are deadlines in 1031 exchanges. Yes, there are deadlines, and that's probably the most difficult part of actually going through the 1031 exchange. Uh, they all get triggered upon the closing of your sale transaction or the closing of your replacement property, depending on which type of exchange you're doing. Right. Uh, most people do a forward exchange. You sell first, you buy second. Uh, in that case, when your sale transaction closes, you have 45 calendar days to identify what you're going to acquire. That's the stressful part. Um, that's six weekends. It moves very quickly. Yep. Uh, after the 45 days, you've got 135 days above and beyond that to complete your exchange, which means close on your reinvestment activities. It's a total of 180 days. Okay. So in other words, then in the, in the first time frame, that's the time to find a property and get it into escrow. And then you have an, the second time frame where um, you, you have more time to close the escrow in case there's delays or complications. Exactly. That's absolutely correct. 
Okay, now what happens when, uh, let's just say I'm in my 45 days and uh, suddenly something goes awry with that and now I'm left with maybe four days to, um, is there any kind of extension under those circumstances? Unfortunately, there's no extension. In fact, the IRS doesn't even have the authority to grant an extension. Okay. Uh, so it's exactly 45 days. And if you get to the end and you don't have anything identified, then your exchange fails and just becomes a taxable transaction. Okay. So, I mean, worst case scenario, you're still closing on the deal. You're just, but in, in, and you alluded to this, so we might as well bring this up. Um, there is such a thing as a reverse exchange, which I'll ask you to explain, but that could really leave you holding the bag um, more so, I, I would imagine, than if you did a forward exchange, but correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, there's, there's really kind of two different risks there. So with a forward exchange, you're selling first, you trigger your capital gain taxes and your depreciation recapture taxes. Uh, and if you can't find property and identify within 45 days or close on it after that, it, it's failed and you pay the tax. So the tax can be painful. With a reverse exchange, you're buying first uh, it's more complicated, more expensive, so your fees are greater. Right. But you're buying first. If you can't sell your current property in time, you'll end up owning both properties. So that's the risk right. with the reverse exchange. Yep. So the reverse eliminates the risk of a failed exchange that creates a tax consequence. The forward, of course, can create that risk. But the reverse then creates the possibility of owning two properties Right. Probably not what you intended. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's what I was alluding to as far as like, that's probably the bigger risk, unless you're financially capable of carrying two properties, then it would actually become the lower risk because you have more time to perform the exchange. Absolutely. And in today's market where you're getting, you know, multiple offers and bidding right. wars and, and whatnot, and there's, there's a, you know, low inventory, uh, the reverse can take a lot of the risk out of the, out of the exchange process, as long as you have the ability to sustain that that transaction. Uh, we've actually seen a 450% increase over the last two years in reverse exchange activity. So it's a huge dramatic increase. I would concur with that because the, I, I never even heard of a reverse exchange until about two years ago. And, and that's because in the last two years, uh, they've seemed to be a good 50% of what comes across my desk. Uh, Yep, I think it's time for for us to go for our break, actually, Thomas. Okay. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come right back with some more questions with our guest, uh, Bill Exeter from Exeter 1031 Exchange Services. Do you want quality leads from homeowners and buyers right in your own neighborhood? Then you need MailRite. It is a powerful but easy-to-use online marketing system that uses Facebook to generate real estate leads at a fraction of the cost you'd pay from our competition. We stand behind our work with a no-question-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Get started today. Go to mail-right.com. All right, we're back, and we're going to continue with the questions uh, before I dive back in, Jonathan, did you have anything you wanted to ask, Bill? Oh, it's all, this is all above my pay rate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, uh, believe me, uh, uh, when I first got in, I'm the- a simple coder, marketer. <laughs> I'm not, uh, um- this this was actually one of the things that made me feel like a hotshot when I was a new agent because I had been an investor for 10 years with my family long before I ever held a real estate license. So 1031 exchanges were about the only thing I knew about real estate going into it. Um, 
Okay. It's a huge head start because most people have never heard of it. And mm -hmm. if you mention it 1031, their eyes glaze over. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, and that's the thing is, you know, we, as realtors, um, we make the mistake of using inside language on the outside world. And I, I'm constantly reminding myself of that. I have lost deals because people think, um, as Jonathan just said, they think I'm talking above their head and they don't want to work with somebody like that. So it's, it's all about learning this so that we can speak it in plain English to them. And I think uh, a tax deferred event is probably a, uh, something that a lot of people can identify with. I've got one quick question. You know, um, it's a very similar situation in the UK. It's this, um, what is the internal revenue's attitude towards this scheme? Because, you know, there's some things in the UK that you're, you're quite legally can do, but they will trigger a investigation from the UK tax authority. And that is their attitude. Does it kind of um, trigger more interest in you, the individual? Good question. Uh, for the most part, it doesn't really trigger any increased risk of an audit or anything like that, unless you have a really large transaction. Uh, you know, I think if you're, if you got a large transaction, you're just on the radar screen, but you know, most transactions are under $5 million. Um, the audit ratio is very, very low. Uh, there are certain states like uh, in our state, California, California has actually put it on their top 10 list, literally. Um, and so they're more aggressive and, and actually, frankly, more obnoxious about it. <laughs> um, so we're more concerned about California than we are the IRS. Well, and let's uh, that, uh, discuss that for a minute because one of the other things we haven't touched on yet is let's talk about how a 1031 exchange works in the sense of the properties you're ex actually exchanging. So what is the rule if I'm selling, let's just say I'm selling a $500,000 home, wh what can I exchange it into? Good question. So first, the, the home you're selling, you have to make sure that it's rental, investment, or business use. It cannot be personal use. So if you get past that, we've satisfied the qualified use requirement. Okay. That can be exchanged for any other type of real estate that's also held for rental, investment, or business use. And that's a really broad definition because it can be things like water rights, air rights, mineral rights, mm. uh, certain types of oil and gas interests would all qualify as like-kind property. Uh, so there's still a lot of people out there who think that if you sell a condo, you have to buy another condo, and that's completely wrong. Uh, any kind of real estate is like-kind as long as it's rental, investment, or business use. Okay, so, so you can exchange residential into commercial or into industrial? Absolutely. Okay, and then let's just say, okay, let's take another example. Let's just say we're... Um, well, I'll use an example that's real world. You're, you're selling a million dollar home in San Diego and you're moving to uh, Arizona to retire uh, where the price point's a lot different. So, um, I, and I don't necessarily want a house uh, big enough to qualify for a million dollar property. Can I divide those proceeds from the sale into multiple properties? Absolutely. So the 1031 is really a great way to diversify, which is exactly what you're talking about. So we'll have some clients who will say, I've got one asset of, of maybe a million dollars and I really want to sell that and buy four or five assets of you know, 200, 250,000 each. Uh, maybe they've got all their properties in one city and they want to diversify by geography. Uh, and there's a lot of different reasons why they might want to diversify. Usually it's some type of risk management goal. 
Okay. So in other words, I could take a million dollar home. And when I say million dollar home, I'm saying my, my, my sales price was a million dollars. Now, do you, and, and I should ask this, do you deduct the, um, the cost of the sale from the property before, and it's at the net gain or is it the gross? Uh, it's actually the net sale price is the okay. technical item, uh, but but consumers get confused there because the closing statement has all sorts of stuff on it. Right. So it's only the selling expenses, your broker's commission, title and escrow, recording fees, documentary transfer tax fees, exchange fees, etc. Any lender expenses would not be deducted and any operating expenses would not be deducted. Oh, okay. All right. So it's really just let your closing costs get backed out of it. Outside of that, everything else counts towards it, uh, towards your credit, let's say. Let's just call it a credit that you're going to now apply to other property. And I can go out and um, as long as I meet or exceed that value, I can buy a house, a mobile home, six condos, and an oil well. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Clear. So, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, are you, and I should say, we, we didn't mention this, you're, you're San Diego based, but you can do California statewide exchanges. Is that correct? correct. We actually cover all 50 states, so we, ah. no matter where it's located. Uh, we're also one of the few exchange companies that handle non-real estate or what we call personal property. So, um, in, in fact, you guys had mentioned, Jonathan, you were in you know, marketing and whatnot. So we actually do exchanges of uh, domain names. So internet uh, website domain names. Oh, whatever do, you could live with one of those. Yeah. They exchange one domain name for another domain name. Uh, we've done a lot of equipment and, and whatnot like that. Livestock, uh, baseball franchises, uh, Subway, McDonald franchises for other franchises. So there's a lot of different types of exchanges that you can do besides real estate. And wow. A lot of people have articles out there where it says you cannot exchange foreign property, and that's not true. Uh, you have to exchange U.S. property for U.S. property, but if you also, let's say, have rental property in the U.K., and you're going to sell that, and that's going to trigger a U.S. taxable event, you can exchange that for other rental property in another foreign country, maybe the U.K. or, or any other foreign country, and you can do a 1031 exchange of foreign property, but it has to be foreign for foreign Oh, interesting. Because uh, what I'm noticing in San Diego, one of the big trends is a lot of people here are inv investing in Costa Rica. So th that would be something they could use. Um, so in, in that example, um, because they were uh, California based and they bought a Costa Rican property and they go to sell that property, they're going to have a taxable event in the United States. Mm -hmm. So they can then exchange that property and, and move it to Tahiti if they wanted to. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Yep. All right. I didn't realize that. I, I had no idea. So you're not bound by uh, your, your geographic location. You, you can do an exchange anywhere, essentially, in the world, depending on the circumstances. Absolutely. Uh, there's only maybe two or three exchange companies that actually will touch foreign property transactions. So we're one of them. Uh, we're actually set up so that we can receive and hold in about 19 different foreign currencies. Um, so the other exchange companies, when they receive the proceeds, they convert to U.S. dollars, that exposes the client to foreign currency risk. Right. Uh, with us, we hold in the foreign currency and then wire back out in the same foreign currencies, uh, so it won't be a risk to the client. Okay, understood. Um, well, the other kind of exchange I wanted to ask you about is, can you explain what an improvement 1031 exchange is? Sure. So um, I guess the best way to do that is with an example. So let's Please. say that they sell a million-dollar asset and they go to buy replacement property, they, maybe they buy dirt for $250,000. Uh, 
Um, so we have to reinvest a million to defer all of our taxes. If we buy dirt for 250, we've reinvested 250,000. We're still short about $750,000. So during the 180 day window, they can use that extra 750,000 to make improvements to the property. So whether that be, you know, putting parking down, curbs, whatever, or even a full, you know, construction of a building and what have you, whatever they can pay for and complete as improvements during that 180 days would be considered part of the exchange. Okay, but they have to actually break ground and complete construction all in that time frame. Yes, and um, so the whole project doesn't have to be completed, just the $1 million value that we have oh. to invest. So maybe it's a $5 million construction project. All we care about during the 180 days is that we get a million dollars paid for and a million dollars worth of construction completed. Uh, the rest can be done after the fact. So, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm the natural negotiator and I'm always poking holes and things. So <laughs> how can you, can, can, let's just say that time frame is not realistic, but can I stack my deck and buy all the building materials that I'm anticipating needing and maybe front load some prepayments to my contractors? Would that accomplish it? Uh, unfortunately, no, um, but it's a good question because that's what most of the clients try to do. Um, but what do Damn, I thought it was unique. <laughs> my 179-day help, what do I do? Can right. we pay for the lumber yard and have them drop the lumber off? Right. And on the 179-day, if they drop the lumber right there, it's still personal property because uh. it's been uh, constructed or made part of the real estate. Once they add, say, the drywall or put up uh, any kind of uh, framework, then it becomes part of the real estate, then it would count. Okay. So I almost feel like I'm asking the wrong question. Um, so let me rephrase. What do you see people do to make that time frame work for them? What, 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 what's a strategy that's working well for people? Uh, good question. You know, the first thing is you want to sit down uh, probably with your architect and maybe your uh, construction crew or what have you and ask the question, <coughs> excuse me, um, can, is there anything we can change in the construction process to move the expensive stuff up front? Mm -hmm. uh, for example, we had one last year where there was this incredibly beautiful water fountain that was scheduled to be at the very end of the construction project. And it was a very expensive piece that was going to go out front of the office building. And by moving that and they put that in first, they were able to get that done fairly quickly and spend, it was about a million dollars just to get that whole front thing done. And wow. that actually solved the problem. So sometimes just moving uh, or, you know, scheduling it differently, front loading things might be the solution. Okay. Uh, I've got a question. Um, obviously, I'm getting the impression, uh, rough, you know, and it's probably a very difficult question to answer, William, but um, roughly how much does this cost to set up? Um, from you and your your company? Good question. If it's a regular exchange, so you're doing a forward exchange, selling first, buying second, with one property sold, one property purchased, it's just a flat fee at $799. If you get into reverse exchanges or improvement exchanges, then it's a lot more complicated. Yeah. Uh, we actually have to take title or what the IRS calls park legal title to the property. Um, so reverse exchanges are going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $6,500. Uh, improvement exchanges, probably $7,500, maybe a little more. Um, that's for anything up to $5 million. Over $5 million, we just have to evaluate the risks to us. And, uh, no, I'm, I'm very surprised. Actually, it sounds very reasonable um, prices, actually. 
Yeah, no, it is for, for the money you're saving. It's, it's value. It's, it's value added to the, um, the whole process. And, uh, you know, and, and we've successfully worked with Bill's company in the past with clients. So, and I know that they've, uh, I always ask my clients when I refer them to somebody else, would you use them again? And they said, absolutely. Yes. So, so Bill's kind of my go-to guy. Um, you know, and, and I've asked this question to Bill before because I, I've personally wanted to do this, but yeah. I'm going to ask it again here. Um, I, I wanted to uh, uh, 1031 exchange one of my rental properties from the Bay Area down to San Diego, but then I wanted to turn my existing home into the rental and move into the exchanged property. And what did you tell me, Bill? Uh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite answer. Yes. Um, so it can be done, but it can't be done right away. Right. Um, you have to satisfy the qualified use test, which is you intend to acquire that and hold it as rental investment or business use. Um, you know, people get hung up on the length of time to hold title to the property. Lots of people will say, well, you don't qualify because you didn't hold it for a year or 18 months or 24 months. And it's surprising when we tell them the code, the regulations, none of that has any uh, required holding period. What it does say is you have to have the intent. Well, how do you define intent? And right. that's the tough part. So, you know, cer certainly if you exchange into property, rent it for 24 months, and that's going to straddle three separate income tax returns, uh, I think that's really good proof that you have the intent to hold for rental and your intent can change then. So at that point, your intent changes, you move into the property and convert it to your home. But if your original intent was to live there and they can prove that, then you're in trouble. Okay. And this, and what we're getting at is that's kind of an IRS event then, because they're looking for tax returns that, that uh, mirror the intent that we just discussed. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I think we need to wrap up the podcast yep. part of the show and maybe have a little bit of bonus content. Okay. So Bill, what we're going to do is we're going to sign off on the audio, for, uh, which goes on our uh, iTunes and Stitcher, uh, but we're going to continue with a video conversation and bonus material. So, okay. what, so I'm going to ask you to uh, give people your contact information in case they want to ask you questions or utilize your services, um, but then stay on with us and we're going to continue the conversation. Okay. Uh, they can certainly call us, email us, or go to our website. So my phone number is area code 619-239-3091. Again, so that's 619-239-3091. Uh, the website is exeterco.com. So that's E-X-E-T-E-R-C-O.com. Or you can email me directly at william.exeter at exeterco.com. Excellent. And Jonathan, if people wanted to reach out to you for mail, right? How would they do that? That's really easy, folks. You can get hold of me personally on Twitter at Jonathan Denwood. I think I'm the only one with that Twitter handle. Or you can get us on the Facebook page. You can message me or you could uh, email me directly. And that's uh, Jonathan at mail-right.com. And I'm Thomas J. Nelson. You can find me on my website, thomasjnelsonrealtor.com social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and I'm on LinkedIn, as well as Active Rain blog site. And I'm never too busy for your referrals in San Diego, California. We're going to sign off the uh, podcast portion of our show and continue with some bonus content on our video for YouTube. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.